Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm your host once again, and also one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining and listening to the podcast today. We so appreciate you listening and engaging with this content. Uh, today, I got an opportunity to do a standalone sermon talking about worry and anxiety of all things. Uh, if you think about the state of our world, our nation, um, maybe even the state of our churches, there's a sense of anxiety, there's a sense of worry, so I thought it might be important to talk about, but also just to prepare our hearts and minds as we enter uh, an even more contentious season, potentially. Um, And so it's important for us to be in prayer, for us to be unified, for us to live in harmony with one another. So I talk about all of those things, but I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And then also, if you have been impacted by the work of Life Church and being part of this community, and you're not currently giving or contributing uh, or investing in any way uh, in the work that we get to be a part of, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider doing that. And you can do so by going to our webpage. It's lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And the information is pretty easy to follow, but you'll also be able to, on that page, see how your giving makes an impact. And so I invite you to go ahead and take a look at that. So without further ado, uh, here's me with a sermon on worry. Amen. It is good to sing together, good to be together. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors. And welcome to anybody who's watching online or going to listen to this a little bit later online. We're glad you're joining us as well. And if you are watching online, I want to just give you a quick reminder. Go ahead and let us know you're here. If you're new, if this is your second time, we want to make sure to connect with you. So click on all of the links that we provide for you so that we can help you take your next steps. And then do me a favor. Go ahead and share this as well. Share this if you think it might be impactful to you. Um, If you're not sure, it's going to be impactful to you, then just wait. Don't share it just yet. Maybe you want to listen to the sermon first, and then you can decide if you want to share it. Uh, I encourage you to do so. Welcome to anybody who's in the room as well. Um, I'm excited to to share with you. I'm going to share a little bit more in just a second, but I want to kind of uh, reiterate some of the things that Nathan had mentioned at the beginning of the service, just in case you weren't able to be with us right away. But we just came out of a series called This Is Us. And we talked about our six codes, the uh, culture that we are, that, that we have been, who we are, and who we're becoming. They kind of uh, help us uh, guide our journey going forward. But then as we finished out the series, we talked about this idea that you can join us in those codes. You can uh, step into those. You can live into those codes by partnering with us. And so we want to continue to encourage you to partner with us. You can do that by going to lifechurchcanton.org now. I want to talk a little bit about something unique today. Uh, This is going to be what we call a standalone message. It's not part of a a bigger series. It's just a singular message, but I think it might inform us over these next couple weeks as well and maybe guide us and and, and guard us even, and that'll make sense a little bit later on. But I want to talk about something that I think has been on my heart too for us as a church that would be important. But before I do that, I first want to ask a question. Anybody in the room or watching online, do we have any music buffs? Just raise your hand. You, you, you know your music. It's not just you like music, but you know things about music. Just go ahead and raise your hand, or you can comment online. Um, how many of you know some details about the Grammys? You know who won certain awards at what years? Uh, uh, specifically, I'll ask this question. How many of you know who won the Song of the Year Award, the Grammy, for Song of the Year in 1989? Just 
if you're in the room, just raise your hand. Uh, just hold on to it, okay? For those of you who are like, man, 1989, uh, either one, I wasn't born yet, so I don't know that. Uh, or two, I was born, but I'm trying to remember what was all happening, who was president, okay? Uh, now, think about it for just a second. In case you're not sure still, um, I'm going to play just a little bit, uh, a few measures of the song, and maybe it'll start to ring a bell. So go ahead and play this song, and let's see if you can recognize it. You know what? Now, if you think you know it, just go ahead and raise your hand in the room. Okay, now more hands. Yep, now more hands are going up. Okay. What are the lyrics? You got it. Absolutely. Don't worry. Be happy. Who, who, who sang this song? Who recorded this song? Do you know that one? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's a little bit harder one. Bobby McFerrin. There we go. Bobby McFerrin. Song of the Year, 1989. Can you believe this? This was the Song of the Year in 1989. Don't worry. Be happy. And some of you are trying to whistle along, but it's a little bit harder with masks on right now. Uh, a wonderful song. And even just as you hear the song, it just kind of gives you a little bit of a lift. Yeah, don't worry. Be happy, right? It's a great song. Don't worry. Be happy. But then actually, if you dig into the lyrics just a little bit more, there's some weird ones in there that are like, wait, that, that actually is kind of worrisome. Like one of the lyrics is, the landlords say the rent is late. He may have to litigate but don't worry. Well, like, what? What? No, like, that, I'm actually worried about that. If I'm going to be taken to court because my rent is late, like, that's, that's a big deal. It's not like I got ketchup on my shirt. No, I'm going to have to go to court because my rent is late. That's, that's kind of a worrisome thing, right? Don't worry. Be happy, right? We're going to talk about worry today. And I'm sure none of us in the room or watching online struggle with worry, but I figured let's just talk about it anyway, just in case, just in case any of us struggle with worry don't worry, be happy. Let me ask you, if this song were to come out in 2020, how do you think we'd respond to that? Do you think it would win a Grammy? Eh, probably not. You insensitive jerk. You know, like, no, that's not probably going to win a whole lot of awards in 2020. Don't worry, be happy. When you're going through anything difficult and somebody just says to you, don't worry, be happy, how do you respond to that? Let me ask you a more serious question. When you think about the state of things right now in our world, what, what worries you the most? Not who, I don't want, if you're watching online, don't go ahead and put political candidates in there right now, but I'm saying what, what worries you the most? What's causing anxiety within you? And have you ever been the person that just says to people, oh, don't worry, just don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Don't worry, be happy. I've actually been that guy. I've been guilty of the one to say, just don't worry about it, don't worry about it, even when it's a big deal sometimes. I've realized now, being on the other end of that, being on the receiving end of people telling me, just don't worry, be happy, when I've gone through some difficult things, it actually feels really tone deaf and insensitive, doesn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't actually work when people just say, don't worry. And how many have you, if you've ever been told, don't worry about it, just don't worry, be happy, don't worry, it'll be fine. How many of you have ever responded with, you know what, you're right, you have logic there, I, I just, okay, I won't worry anymore. No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You're still going through the thing. But what happens, what happens when it's actually plainly written in the scriptures? What do you do then? What if in the Bible it just says don't worry? Because it actually does. I want to show you this verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, reading from the New Living Translation, where it just simply says, don't worry about anything. 
Ugh. Don't worry, be happy, actually, which we'll see in just a second. Does it feel easier to listen to when it's written in the Scriptures? Does it feel easier to sort of not roll your eyes at that? Or when you see in the Scriptures, don't worry, be happy, rejoice, are you kind of like, eh, God, you don't really know what I'm going through. And you kind of want to just move on. And what if I actually told you that not worrying is a command of Jesus? He talks about this in Matthew 6. We're not going to be going there just right now, but if for your reference later on, you want to go look it up. Matthew 6, Jesus actually gives us a command, do not worry. And the specific context that he's talking to, he's actually talking to a whole group of people who are, uh, really have a lot of reasons to worry. I mean, they're, they're impoverished, they're oppressed, they're worried about all of their daily needs being met. And Jesus says, don't worry about the things that dominate the minds of unbelievers, of pagans, he says. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And he's saying that to a whole lot of people who have all the reasons in the world to worry about those things. And yet he says, don't worry. Don't worry. I think we in our culture struggle with worry, with anxiety. And we worry about a lot of stuff. But how do we as followers of Jesus begin to engage with this call and this command? This isn't just a suggestion, it's a command. Don't worry, be happy. Today, I want to talk about how Paul brings it to the context of the Philippian church. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to go there with me, if you do have a Bible, if you don't, that's entirely okay. We'll have it on the screens and you can follow along in that way. I read to you already from the New Living Translation. Now, if you're a little bit newer to the church, newer to the Bible, you might have picked up on this. Sometimes we use different translations. Why is that? What's the NLT and the NIV and the ESV and the NASB? Like, why do we use all of these different translations? And I'll explain just in this way real simply, sometimes we go to different translations for different reasons. We get different translations for different reasons. Some of them are trying to really portray what is the most accurate to the original language. They're, they're trying to capture what's the most accurate, the most seemingly obvious to what, uh, what the context would have uh, been trying to communicate. Some other translations uh, might be true, trying to do the same thing, but more so they're concerned with the readability. They don't want the average person to kind of understand how to read through these things in the particular language. What I'm going to do is switch to a different translation. Now, I need to uh, give this disclaimer. A couple weeks ago, uh, Daniel gave a message, and he spoke uh, from John 3.16, and I pleaded with him. Hey, I said, you should, you should say it how you memorized it. You memorized it in two languages. You should say it in Yoruba. I think that would be really profound for us to hear. It would just be cool for us to hear John 3.16 said in a, in a way that we've, most of us have probably never heard before. And he says, no, I'm really shy. And I'm like, shy? You're not shy. Just say the verse, you know? And so he finally he works up the courage to say the verse. He did me a favor. I'm going to do him a favor, and I'm going to preach from the NASB today. Normally, I preach from the NLT. Now, here's something that's really nerdy and theological uh, that most of you probably don't even care about. Uh, as teaching team, we talk about this, and we actually kind of uh, joke about this. We banter about different translations, and he always makes fun of me for using the NLT, the New Living Translation. I think he's called it new, the, the New Lying Translation. I'm not sure why, but uh, he goes to the New 
American Standard Bible, which he refers to affectionately as the New Accurate Standard Bible. So he's trying to communicate something there. So I'm doing him a favor and preaching from the NASB this morning, but it's just for him, okay? I'll... None of that is important for any of you right now if you're newer to the Bible. This is just the nerdy stuff that we banter about. Anyway, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. I urge Euodia and I urge Suntiki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. We already read, don't worry about anything. This version says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't worry. Be happy, right? This is where Bobby McFerrin got his song. No, I'm kidding, he didn't. But rejoice, again, I will say rejoice, be anxious for nothing, don't worry about anything. Let's talk about this, but this is a little bit different context than what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, where he's talking about meeting your daily needs. Now, the reason I wanted to take us to the beginning in verse 2, where it's talking about Euodia and Suntiki, which if you name your next child that name, I will give you 20 bucks, I promise you. He's talking about a, a conflict between two women. So, so the next few verses here are going to be in the context of relationships. Anxiety that is born out of relationships and how do we deal with that? But we talk about Euodia and Suntiki and they have a disagreement. Now we don't understand what the disagreement is about, but my, my guess is that it's probably not a small thing. I mean, these are, these are serious women. These are women who have joined Paul in the cause of the gospel. Like, they, they're, they're part of his team in, in, in doing ministry and sharing the gospel. So, they're probably very serious, important women, but they're having a disagreement. But Paul urges them to live in harmony. He's using a, a musical term here, harmony. And so, what I want to do is actually use a musical illustration to talk about what's going on here. Now, he's asking them to live in harmony. Let's talk about a guitar for just a second. A guitar is an instrument that can bring us harmony, right? So, like, if I play a chord, that's a G chord. So, we've got multiple notes here that are all making, uh, coming together to make one chord, and they're in harmony because it's different notes making a full sound. And, and you don't have to be a music buff to understand that, yeah, that, that, that sounds right. Now, if I move my fingers here, that, that doesn't sound good, right? That, that doesn't sound like good harmony. If I keep playing like this, you're actually going to start to feel really anxious, like, please put down the instrument. You should not be on the worship team. Amen, right? Like, that's, if we ended the song, if we ended the service that way, everybody's going to be like, hey, I don't think I'm coming back to church ever again. This doesn't sound good, right? But I have to make an adjustment to my fingers. 
That's not, okay. <laughs> All right, everybody's heartbeat just went, you know, slowed down just a little bit more. Now, here's the thing. I could play this, but if all of a sudden I, I keep my fingers in the same exact spot, to the trained musical ear, that might sound a little bit off, right? Now, I'm, I'm playing all the right spots, and my, my fingers are in the right spot, and I'm playing the strings, but something sounds just a little bit off. And in this case, one of the notes is just out of tune, so I have to tune it. And so I might just adjust, and I can use the, um, can use the guitar. And match the sound to the standard. And we're a little bit closer. That sounds better, okay? So now I'm back in tune again and everything sounds right. Now here's the thing. In the context of relationships, when there's discord, when there is disharmony, and a relationship sound like this, like that's like, oh, that brings anxiety to us and it causes more discord and worry and, and, and frustration because it sounds like a bunch of noise. But Paul's saying, no, I'm encouraging you to live in harmony. You might be different, and you bring your different notes, but you make something beautiful when you come together and make something sound better. But here's the thing, if, if one of us is out of tune, to the trained musical ear, it sounds maybe just a little bit off, right? And so in relationships, one of us, if we're in a disagreement, one of us might be right and the other one might be wrong, but we don't see it that way, right? Like, we are addicted in our culture to being right. I have to be right. And if I'm ever wrong, well, then that's just going to show that I'm, I, I have no power and I'm out of control, so I'm just going to keep playing this note and it's going to keep sounding horrible. But, I, man, I'm going to stick my feet in the mud and I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep playing this note. But in relationships, we're urged toward harmony, especially as followers of Jesus. And so we have to tune ourselves to a standard. And there's not just any old standard that we can just make up. We can't just make up our own preferences and whatever the standard might be. No, as followers of Jesus, we tune ourselves to the standard of Christ to become in tune again so that we make much beautiful, much more of a beautiful sound and sound in harmony. Here's what I've noticed, especially as we're nearing a political climate, an election year, is that these kinds of conversations have been going on where we've been in disagreement, not just out in the world, but even in the church. We've been in disagreement with one another, and we've fought for things that are our preferences. And we have stuck our feet in the mud and say, I am not moving, and even though we have sounded out of tune to us in our own heads, maybe because we're not musically trained or maybe because we're not trained to the standard of Christ, we keep playing that note even though it sounds out of tune. And then what it causes is discord and disharmony in the church. And maybe one of us is trying to tune to the standard of Christ, but the other one isn't, but we just keep going at it, and then we drive us, ourselves further and further apart. And see, what the problem is, is where it gets really confusing, especially to the outside world looking on the inside to the church, is we have people conflating certain things with Christianity, with the gospel, and we've put such an emphasis on tuning, our, tuning to the standard of a constitution, of a particular amendment, instead of Christ. Who, in this very same letter, says... That Christ gives up his rights. 
He gives up his divine privileges and becomes obedient to death on a cross. That's the standard to which we tune ourselves, not to anything else as followers of Jesus. But we have confused that in the church. And now the outside world, who we're trying to relentlessly pursue one more, is like, no thanks, I want nothing to do with that because y'all seem confused about who Jesus is. And we've compl- we, we have conflated our Americanisms, our greed, and our preferences with Christ. And we no longer live in harmony. I urge you, live in harmony in the Lord. Let's continue on in the letter with what Paul's talking about. He goes on to talk about rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, as we do that, and as we turn that page for just a moment, I want to ask you a question to dwell on. Are you choosing to live in harmony, even in the church? Are you choosing to live in harmony? Because if we can't live in harmony, then we can't move on to the next part, which means rejoicing in the Lord. Continue to dwell on that. And even if you're watching online, you can put some comments in there. Choose to live in harmony. Here's the thing. In order to move on to the next part, the rejoicing, we have to, we have to tune ourselves to Christ. And this is why Paul says rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Now, for us, we might look at this and be like, yeah, you, you don't know what I'm going through, Paul. You don't understand what life is like for me. You don't get it, Paul. Here's the thing. Uh, Paul is sitting in a first century prison where it's dark and damp, and he's probably sitting on the floor, or maybe he's forced to stand, but we know he's probably in shackles. He can't move. He can't get up and go to the bathroom. This isn't some Four Seasons hotel that he's staying in. Like, this is not a good place for him to be, where his life is at risk, and he's probably going to die soon, and he's very much fearing for his life. And yet, he has the audacity to say, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'll say rejoice. If Paul can say it, can we live it? Can we live into that joy? He goes on to talk about our demeanor. Rejoice in the Lord Lord always. Again, I would say rejoice. And with your gentle spirit, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Here's the thing. is Sometimes our joy, sometimes we look at a verse like that and we feel like we have to manufacture joy. We have to like fake it till we make it somehow. Like if I could just get happy, if I could just be happy, then then eventually I'll actually feel happy. And so I'll just put on a brave face and I'll try to look like I'm happy. I'll look like I'm rejoicing. But that's not what Paul's asking for. He's asking for a genuine, authentic Joy. It doesn't have to look like some sort of fake persona that you're putting on. And even more so, have a gentle spirit about yourself. Why? So that we're sensitive to the needs of people around us. We're sensitive to those who are around us who are absolutely struggling in their circumstances and we're giving them a new perspective of what joy actually looks like. As we begin to shape their minds and their hearts, 
to understand what true joy looks like, that it's not rooted in our circumstances, we bring a certain gentleness to that as well. I think about it like this, in the context of relationships, because that's what Paul's talking about. If I have hurt somebody, but, but it was an accident, and I didn't know that I did it, or I didn't intend to do it, my first initial reaction, if I've hurt somebody and they're in pain, my first reaction in that moment, right then and there, is to defend myself, right? Anybody else do this? We defend ourselves. Like, I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. I, I, uh, I didn't intend to do that. I didn't intend to hurt you. Meanwhile, this person's crying, grieving, hurting. This, this has happened as early on as my kids. I see this happening with my kids too. My, my son might be sitting on a couch and his foot's out while he's maybe reading a book and then his sister will come along and trip over his foot. She'll fall down. She's crying because she banged her head on the side of the couch. In that moment, she's crying profusely and my son's first reaction is to get up and be like, defend himself. Like, I didn't, I didn't mean to do it. It's not my fault. And it's like, no, that, that's not important right now. Just, just say you're sorry identify with her. She's hurting right now. She's in pain. We could talk about your intentions later on, but first, this person's hurting. We're trying to talk about that with our kids, even at an early age. If we don't get it as kids, we're definitely not going to get it as, as adults. Our initial reaction is to want to defend ourselves, to hold on to our rights, to talk about our intentions, and all the while neglect the pain of others. Because we're afraid of what that might make me look like. If you know my true intentions, if you know that I had a hand in causing the pain, or even if I didn't, well, I just, I can't have that on my conscience. We need a gentle spirit to identify with one another in their pain, especially if we've hurt them, even if we don't know that we've hurt them. We've seen this play out, this tension play out, even in the midst of this year and the racial injustice, identifying with people in their pain is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. We need a gentle spirit to do so. Let's move on to verse 6, kind of the the primary function of this sermon, to talk about worry, to talk about anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, he says. Again, he's talking from the context of prison. We're talking about here is this spiraling worry, right? Especially in the context of relationships, like, well, what what if they meant this? And And then what if that means this? And actually what they think about truly when they think about me is they think about this, like this spiraling worry. It's bringing up a question that brings up like five more questions and then 10 more questions. And we go down this rabbit hole that is all rooted in fear. Well, what if this? And what about that? And what if they mean this? And it just gets to be out of control spirals of control. We were talking about this as a staff, a couple staff members earlier this week, and I asked this question, like, what are, we, what are you worried about the most right now? What are you anxious about the most? And we all gave some different answers, but all of them had this same theme, this same common idea that was all rooted in sort of this fear of the unknown. I, I don't know what's ahead, and because I don't know, I'm a little bit afraid, but also this lack of control. Not only do I not know what's ahead, but I can't control it. I want to ask you a question, Life Church. Is the source of your worry and your anxiety out of your control? 
Is it out of your control? I want to pause for just a second and, and be clear about what I'm not talking about necessarily. I, I don't believe that these verses are specifically pertaining to this understanding of mental health and clinical anxiety. I don't think that's necessarily what Paul is addressing. However, I do believe that these verses are actually very crucial in informing our understanding of how we pursue mental health. I, I do absolutely believe that Jesus is still the answer in the context of mental health and healing, I believe, looks different in the context of everybody's journey, everybody's unique journey. But I want to be clear that clinical anxiety still calls for a clinical response, and there is absolutely no shame in that for any of us who might be struggling. I think the numbers maybe change, I don't know, every couple months, but maybe like one in four, I think. One in four people in America struggle with anxiety. I might be wrong on those numbers, but basically the, the idea is that a lot of us struggle with clinical anxiety. There's no shame for you in that. Jesus wants to walk alongside us in that journey. If you want to do a little bit more digging in that, actually Life Church did a series about this uh, almost two years ago. You can go back. It's just a series simply called Anxious. You can go and listen more. But here's the thing, Paul doesn't leave us in this emptiness. He doesn't just say, be anxious for nothing and then just move on. No, he, he says, but in prayer, through prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. He doesn't just leave us in our loneliness, in our emptiness. We're going to be talking a little bit more about this idea of prayer and supplication and thanksgiving in January, so mark your calendars for that. You're going to want to be here for that. But I want to ask you another question. In your worry, in your anxiety, in that spiraling sort of out of control that you can't control, this fear of the unknown, do you tune, turn to prayer? Do you pray? You ask God to step into the middle of that. Because when you do, when you do, Paul says, the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, which means we can't understand it. Because it's his peace. Right? It's not like our peace that I have to sort of muster up, that I have to manufacture within myself, that I have to sort of figure out how to gain in my life. No, it's not my peace. It's like his peace. It's like his brand of peace is a helpful way of thinking about it. I think about this illustration. When we first got married, uh, we were super low on money, so anytime we'd go grocery shopping, we'd always get the off-brand. We went to Target for our groceries, so we'd get like Target brand shredded cheese or something like that. It was basically cheese-flavored plastic is kind of what it tasted like, right? Or cardboard uh, is maybe a little bit more accurate. And, and then, you know, we'd get like a tax return, and it's like, all right, we're going big. We're going to get Kraft cheese, or we're going to get Sargento, you know, like, oh, oh, this is what cheddar tastes like. Oh my gosh, my world is changed, right? It's a different brand of cheese, and it changed our lives. I think about this when I think about this brand of peace that we have from God, the peace of God that is different than the brand of peace that the world has to offer, our culture has to offer, right? It's so much better, it's so much richer, it's so much deeper. In fact, it's so much 
deeper and richer and better that we can't even understand it. See, the peace that we might have in our culture and in our world that we manufacture on our own, yeah, we can maybe wrap our heads around that. We can maybe understand the science behind that, and some of that stuff is good. But ultimately, I think what's common of the peace that is manufactured by our culture and by the world is a peace that is absent of pain. I just want to avoid conflict, and that's when I experience peace. But see, that's not the brand of peace that comes from God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's this shalom kind of peace. That Hebrew word shalom means peace, yes, but it also means wholeness and redemption and restoration and healing, whole healing. It's so much bigger But here's how it's also contrasted with cultural peace and worldly peace is that it's a peace that guards our hearts and our minds, but not necessarily the body. The peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds, which means you still might experience peace. See, it guards our hearts and our minds so that when we experience conflict and when we experience pain and suffering and maybe even, yes, persecution, that we have a healthy mind and heart to be able to step into it and still say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is not a peace that avoids pain, but helps us to step into pain. See, if it's guarding our heart and our mind when we go through something, then we wouldn't need it if trouble wasn't ahead. It's guarding our hearts and our minds for a reason, because we're about to step into something. But then it finishes the sentence this way, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's the brand Like, that's the brand of peace. That's the packaging for the peace. Like I said, like, the Target cheese is packaged in a Target package, and then when you pull it out, it tastes like Target cheese. But then the Kraft cheese or the Sargento cheese or maybe the more expensive cheese is packaged differently. God's peace is packaged differently than the world's peace, and it's packaged in Christ. Guess what happens to Christ? He suffers and dies on a cross. That's his brand. In fact, Nathan just talked about this last week when he went through Colossians chapter 1, that Christ made peace through what? His blood shed on the cross. That's how peace comes. That's why we can't understand it. It's an upside-down kind of peace in the midst of our anxiety. And it's going to guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. And here's the cool thing is Paul doesn't just leave us there even. He still gives us more. There's still more. So be anxious for nothing, but pray. Allow God's peace to guard our hearts and our minds. But then even more, he continues to talk about the mind. Paul talks about the mind a lot in a lot of his letters. I've said this before, but I like to refer to Paul as a first century neurologist. He's a neuroscientist. He's constantly talking about the mind and the neurology of what it means to dwell on Christ. That's exactly what he says. Dwell on what? Whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, if anything excellent and praiseworthy, dwell on those things. 
dwell on them. He doesn't leave us in this passivity. No, He actually calls us to do something, to tune our minds to the mind of Christ, because these are the kinds of things that Christ thinks about. We think like Him. We take on His mind. We renew our minds. In fact, in 1 Peter, it talks about this idea of what to do with our anxiety. It says to cast our anxiety on Him because He cares for us. He's not just some far-off, distant, cosmic guy in the sky. No, He's actually, yes, those things. He's, He's majestic. He's cosmic. He's beautiful. He's magnifiable. He's glorious. He's holy. And, and He is intimately involved in the details of our lives the details of our mind cause us to dwell on the things of Him. But here's the thing. As we cast our anxiety on Him because He cares for us, remember in verse 6 it says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time casting your anxiety, all of your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Going to God requires a level of humility. Recognizing that He might, he might tune your string, He might stretch you more than you're prepared for. But He's going to come alongside you. He's going to prep you in the way that you need. He might tune you to Himself in a way that you're not expecting. You might sound out of tune and you might not know it. God's peace will stretch you and change you and tune you to himself so that you can enter into relationships, so that you can find that harmony again and make beautiful music. You have to be humble to cast your anxiety on him and to dwell on the things of God, the things that are pure, the things that are right, the things that are excellent. And here's the thing, is actually science has caught up to this idea. There are neuroscientists that have realized that actually if you dwell on these things of God, if you dwell on a God that is holy, that is beautiful, that is lovely, that is grace-filled, you actually see physical, healthy impact on your brain. This is amazing how God has created us, how He has wired us to dwell on Him. I want to ask you a question. What do you dwell on? What do you dwell on? My guess is that most of us just do this. This is our lives right now. Scroll, just dwell, dwell. Uh Uh-oh, oh, they don't like me? Oh, they didn't comment on me? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm worried now. And now I'm, now I'm dwelling on that, and now my mind is spiraling, now I'm anxious, and well, I'll just keep on looking and keep on reading. Well, maybe I can find an article that agrees with me, and oh look, they agree with my preference. Okay, now, great, now I'm in this echo chamber where everybody agrees with everything that I believe. Oh, this is so convenient for me. Oh, but they don't, so this is where we are all of the time. This is just another appendage. And if it's not near us, but we see it, I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if uh, oh, well, actually, I've got it here now. So if, if I miss anything, just in case, it's, well, okay, I'm still notified. All right, I'm still here. 
this is what we've become. And if we're not near this, we get heart palpitations, literally. This has actually been tied to most of our worry. Just a few miles down the road, University of Michigan study like 20 years ago found our interaction with mobile devices and social media, maybe it's 15 years ago, that actually is connected to our worry, our anxiety, and even our depression. Because what are we dwelling on? What do you dwell on? I want to give you some action steps. I want to encourage you to dwell on something much more. I'm going to have David come out and just play a little bit of music for us. Because here's the thing, one of the things that science has found that just matches up with Scripture is this idea of dwelling on the things of God. To meditate, that's not some far eastern word or idea. By the way, Christianity came out of the eastern world, so that's important to recognize. But what was Jesus doing when he was constantly going alone to be with the Father? My guess is he was probably dwelling on, meditating on, reflecting on the things of his Father. I want to give you an action step, and I want to ask you this week, take 10 minutes per day, not right before you go to bed, 10 minutes every day for the next week, and just breathe. Just meditate on the things of God. What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? Don't make up what you think is. Don't find out what your own preferences are. No, look Jesus, tune yourself to Christ in order to understand. So I'm not just going to call you to do that this week. I want to do it right now for like the next 30, mi- 30 seconds, not 30 minutes. Sorry, you should be careful. That's really scary for some people. And I want you to just sit and breathe and think on the things of God. I'm going to do it right here with you. And if you need to close your eyes, you can do that too. Just focus on your breathing. Focus on who God is. You can do this at home if you're watching online as well. scary feeling to go into a sense of solitude and silence, to be alone with our thoughts. But this is a practice. Talk about this in the Old Testament. I want to meditate on your word day and night. We need God's help in this. We need his word. We need his son Jesus. We need his spirit to fill us, to give us breath, that ruach breath that we get in the Old Testament.
want to call you to do this this week, to breathe, to be mindful. It starts to shut down all of those mechanisms in the brain that lead to fear and anxiety and anger. Can you imagine if our nation was just a little less angry and vitriolic in the next couple of weeks? I want us to dwell on things of God. And then here's another thing. I want to challenge you to do this too. As you come out of that time, 10 minutes, maybe some of you will do 15, maybe some of you will do 30 minutes, maybe an hour. As you come out of that time, write it down. Write down what you felt and heard. Take note of it to remember it. And then I'm going to ask you to go one step further. Share it. Share it as a story. Maybe you go through this whole week and you, and you, you stick to this practice and you write things down. How might you look different in a week? Let us know. We want to hear your story. We want to be inspired by how you're growing in your mindfulness of God as you learn to meditate on Him and to cast your anxiety on Him. Share a story. You can do that by going to our Now page and clicking on Share a Story. We want to hear it. We need to encourage one another in order for us to live in harmony with each other. I'm going to call the band out as we go into another time of worship, but I recognize some of you, maybe this has taken control of your life and and you're ready to kind of put that aside. Maybe for some of you, you're, you're ready to try some meditative exercises, some breathing, some meditating on who God is. And again, don't let that freak you out. That's not some just Eastern mysticism kind of thing or yoga kind of practice that's satanic or demonic or anything like that. This is a godly creational idea to meditate on the Father. Some of you are going to do that, and that's great. Some of you who are watching or who are here in person, maybe this idea of being in Christ is a brand new idea. And you don't know Jesus. I want to invite you to know him and to know his peace. And to know that when he went to the cross, that he actually made peace so that you could be in relationship with God. If that's you, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. And we're going to pray in just a moment, but I want to share this one last thing. Last week, I shared briefly that my grandma was almost 100 years old and she was in hospice. And this last week, she didn't quite make it to 100 and she went to go meet Jesus. And when I got to talk to her a couple weeks ago and share scripture with her and just read to her, at the end of that, I asked her a question. I said, what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking about right now? And this is what she said. These were my grandma Van Voorst's final words to me. She said, if I'm thinking of what lies ahead, I don't know what it is, but I know it's going to be good. You don't know if you deserve it. It's hard to explain. If I think of the past, there's so much that I could have done, things that I could have told the family. I don't have the words to express what I'm really thinking, but I'm just so blessed. (laughs) I, I just think about the legacy that my grandma has left 
And I got to watch the funeral streaming. It was in Northwest Iowa. I couldn't go, but we got to watch it be streamed. And there was such a legacy of my family who all know the Lord, probably because of my grandma. If I could pass on anything in the name of the legacy of my grandma Van Voorst, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him. I want you to know his grace. I want you to know his goodness and his blessing and the peace that comes through him. Would you stand with me so I can pray with you? God, we look to you now. There's probably a lot of anxiety. There's probably a lot of worry because of the state of things in our world right now. And so, God, we're going to boldly cast that on you. God, we so desperately need your peace to guard our heart and our mind. And we recognize that that only comes through Christ. And so I pray that if there's anybody watching or listening or in this room that doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that your spirit would make it known to them, that they would call out to you, say, Jesus, I need you. I have so much anxiety from so many other sources in my life, and I recognize that you are the only source of true peace. And so I commit my life to you.